Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Glad to have you with us here today. Welcome to you all. If you're new with us, thank you for being with us today. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It's so good to have you with us. If you are a guest with us, one of the things we ask of you to do, if you'd be so kind as to simply grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298. Just simply text CONNECT. We'll send you a link. Tap on that. Answer a couple of questions. Just so we can know that you're here and know how to pray for you, minister to you in the best way possible. We would love to do that. So please text CONNECT so we can be uh, engaged with you and minister to you. And again, thank you so much for worshiping with us here today. But for everyone, before we jump in together, I've got three big announcements I want to share with you just to kind of set the stage for us. For the week, all right? Number one is this, our daddy-daughter dance. That's going to be June 19th, so you got a week to sign up dad. So text DANCE to our number, 910-424-1298. Text DANCE there. Uh, that'll sign you and your daughter up for that. It's going to be June 19th. It's going to be a great night. Come hang out. Bring your daughters. It's going to be a wonderful wonderful time together and we're coming off the heels of vacation bible school so it's a great couple of weeks for us with our kids vbs was amazing we saw a bunch of kids get saved it was just awesome so praise the lord for that if you worked in vbs yes amen if you worked in vbs thank you we're so uh so appreciative of you and the hard work that you put in to see that happen so thank you so much for that. So we'll come off the heels of that with our daddy-daughter dance next weekend. So dads, be sure to sign up for that. Second, um, July 4th, we're going to have one service at the 11 o'clock, so there'll be no 930. July 4th is on a Sunday this year. No 930 service, just 11. No kids ministry, no journey groups, nothing. One service, 11 o'clock, everybody in this room together. Come hang out with us. Enjoy uh, a worship time together. We're going to be talking about depending on the Lord on Independence Day. So come, be a part of that. And then, we're, uh, like I said, last week after all that, we're going to go to your house for a hot dog. And it's going to be awesome. So come hang out with us July 4th. And then last is this membership. Our next membership class is going to be in July. It's going to be uh, the weeks of July 11th, 18th, and 25th. So our new member process is three weeks long. It meets during this 9.30 hour in one of the classes here on site. It's a chance just for you to hear about what it means to be a Christian. Um, it, uh, just to talk about what does it mean to be a part of a church, and then specifically what does it mean to be a part of us here at Southview. So if you're interested in being part of that, just text MEMBER 
to 910-424-1298 to be a part of that membership pipeline so you can learn all about us here at Southview what God's doing, and what it means to be a part of us. But for all other announcements, everything that's going on, you know, to download the app, uh, iTunes or Google Play, download the app. You'll get to give online through the app, find a journey group through the app, any other announcements, sign up for things, uh, previous services, all of that's there on the app, so download that uh, so you can uh, be connected and know what's going on. But for us today, I want to read a scripture to you to kind of set the stage for us as we begin worshiping together. So we're going to be uh, back in the book of Acts chapter 11 today, looking at the church of Antioch. And there's this amazing little verse tucked into this. Acts chapter 11. It says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to him. So what we see is that as God's hand was on them, something significant was happening people believed but they didn't just stop with believing they turned to Jesus it's not enough just simply to believe in this room right now we have many people who I know believe certain things about God you believe Christian ideas and we're we're thankful for that but not everyone who believes Christian ideas is actually a Christian and is going to go to heaven one day Have you actually turned away from this world and the things of this world and turned to Jesus? Simply believing Christian ideas isn't going to be sufficient. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But for you here this morning, I just want to encourage you, just bow your heads for a moment as we begin to worship together. And I want to pray for us. One... I want to praise God for those here in this room who don't just believe certain Christian ideas, but have truly allowed that to be a springboard where you have turned away from this world and turned to Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Praise God for the work He's done in you. Praise God that He's turned your heart to Him. Amen. And we're going to encourage you today to keep seeking hard after Jesus Christ. But I want to pray specifically also for those here in this room who believe certain Christian ideas. And if someone were to ask you, you would call yourself a Christian. But let's be honest. You have not had a moment in your life where you have legitimately turned away from this world, the things of this world, the sin of this world, and turned to Jesus. You still call yourself a Christian, believing certain Christian ideas, you're walking a path towards the world and you have not turned to Christ. And so I want to encourage you today, I want to ask that the Holy Spirit work in your hearts. And that you would not just walk out of this room believing certain things that are true, but you would, more importantly than that, allow those beliefs to stir up in your heart that cause you to turn to Jesus. So Lord, I ask that you'll do this today. Pray in this room today, hearts are turned away from this world and to you, Jesus. Hearts are turned away from themselves and to you, Jesus. Hearts are turned. Turned away from sin and turned to you, Jesus. And for those here in this room that have turned, I pray, God, that they would sing loud and excited as people who have been saved. And we understand 
what it means to be saved and how significant it is to be saved and what we've been saved from, the wrath of God that was coming down on our sin. We, we turned to you, Jesus, and then you absorbed all of that, and now we're free and new and right and holy and redeemed and children of God. And so we sing and we sing with excitement and purpose because you've made us new. And that all happened because we turned to you. So I pray, Jesus, today that you will turn hearts to that is in our, in the only name that we can pray, we lift it to you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand, guys. Let's worship Jesus together. All right, good morning, church. Let's celebrate together. Come on.
above all names.
So when the so every every Sunday morning before we um, lead together in worship, we we meet as a team and we pray. And one of the one of the team members who worked VBS said it was such a blessing to see the children just to have a a childlike faith as they worshipped God right throughout the week through the songs and through the prayer scriptures and through the the penny drive that the girls won by the way and and she said I want that for me you know I want that for us and so we prayed for you we prayed for us that we would approach the throne of God today church with a childlike made you, as Pastor Brad said, he has made you clean, holy, righteous, complete, lacking nothing, worthy, redeemed. And so we come here and we worship him not because those things are true, though they are. We worship him because he is Lord. on that truth. God is the God of the universe. He deserves our praise. He deserves our prayers. He deserves our honor because he is the great I am. He is our great father, our savior, our friend. Let's continue to sing.
Have a seat for me, and that's just a perfect segue for a time of prayer. Because as Jesus taught us to pray, He told us to pray to our Father in heaven, right? So we just got to proclaiming that together that God is indeed our good, good Father, and so we know we can come to Him in prayer. And, and as Jesus is teaching on prayer, He tells us to go to our Father. And to present our request to him, right? We, we go to our Father and say, give us this day our daily bread. We're, we're presenting our needs to him, our request to him, and we're trusting him to provide for us. And, and so I want to kind of go down that road for a moment, but, but maybe add a little spin to it, a little, a little depth for you. When we go to the Lord in prayer, and as we present our request to him, it's more than just us going and just kind of laying some things down and, and backing away and saying, all right, you handle this. It's literally a, a presenting of yourself to him. I, I want to read a scripture to you, Psalm 109, verse 4. So David is praying this, King David, he's praying this. He's in the midst of just a horrible situation, uh, so if you know the story of the Old Testament, King Saul is coming after him. Saul's crazy, lost his mind, um, knows that God's hand is on David, and God is going to raise David up to take the throne. So Saul thinks he can kill him, and so he's chasing him all through the desert, and David is having to live in caves, and it's just a horrible situation. And look at the way he, David describes this, his prayer life in the midst of all this. Psalm 109, verse 4. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So, even though David did all that he could possibly right, he did all the right things in all the right ways and sought to honor Saul and, 
and, and serve the Lord and all these things, he just felt like he got an accusation back. So you ever felt like, I mean, how many times have you felt, or my gosh, my, I, I've heard so much. I, I started trying to live for the Lord. Things just seemed to get worse. Like it, just, it just got worse, not better. And this is exactly what David is saying. Like, I did all the right things, and they just returned with accusation. And he says, but his response to that was, but I give myself to prayer. And it's really interesting. In the Hebrew, there's, a, there's an interesting little thing that happens there. When he says, I give myself to prayer, literally it translates out, I am prayer. So what he's saying is, in return for my love, they accuse me, but I am prayer. Prayer. He's saying he's, he's not just presenting his request to God. He's presenting himself before God. Like his life is a prayer. I'm just presenting myself to God. I'm laying myself before God. I'm asking God to do something with not just my need, but with all of me. I'm just giving myself to him. So I want to encourage you this morning as you present your request to the Lord, don't just lay your needs down. Just, just throw out your list. But are you literally giving yourself to him? Just laying yourself down and saying, I'm just to the point where I literally am a prayer. I'm just I'm giving myself totally to the Lord in prayer. I want to ask that you bow your heads for me. I want to lead us in this. Praying in this way. I want to encourage you this morning. Take time to not just present your request to God in prayer but literally present yourself to God in prayer so whatever it is what's the thing that's on your prayer list what's the thing that you're setting before the Lord in prayer continuously the thing that's just heavy on your heart heavy on your mind what you're presenting to him don't separate yourself from the prayer you're just throwing out your request to God and expecting Him to do something with it. Prayer is literally giving yourself to God, not just the need. Saying, God, not only my need, but here I am. Do whatever you want in me and through this. Do whatever you want in me and all of this. Change me, not just answer this prayer. So God, I, I ask this morning that that's exactly what our heart will be how we'll start thinking about prayer. It's not just rattling off a list and asking you to go do something about that list. But God, in prayer, we're giving ourselves to you. We're laying ourselves down and saying, God, not just answer the request, but do whatever you want in me. So here this morning, if that's not your heart, I pray that God makes it that. God, I pray for those here in the room that may struggle to give themselves to you. They want you to do things. They have needs they'd like for you to answer. But God, I pray that you would turn their hearts to you so that they trust you, not just with this request to go fix this thing, but with themselves. They lay themselves down before you and say, God, you do in me whatever you want. And for all of us, as that increasingly becomes our heart, we're just setting ourselves before you. I pray, God, that you would not only answer that prayer, but God, you would do a great work in us. You would shape us and mold us. We would be more submitted and more humble and more in tune with your spirit. You would give us fresh desires in our hearts. There's some 
that as they're setting themselves before you, you're going to completely change the prayer. They're going to realize that what they're praying isn't what they need to pray. It's kind of selfish. And as you work in their hearts, their prayer will change. For some, the prayer is going to sharpen. For some, they're praying exactly what they need to pray with exactly the right heart. But as they set themselves before you and give themselves to you, it's going to have even renewed passion, renewed vigor. So I pray, God, that you would do this in us. We don't just consider prayer this rattling off of lists, but God, I pray that you would empower us to see prayer as presenting ourselves to you and that you would do this great work in us. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in us, your people, for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. All right, hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Acts chapter 11 together, all right? Acts chapter 11. So last week we were in Acts 11, and we began looking at the church in Antioch. I told you the church in Antioch is kind of my hero church. I love this church. Uh, It sets kind of a pattern, a vision for what I believe God uh, potentially may be desiring to do here in us as a church. And so uh, I think it's important for us to take a little time to look at Antioch, see what's happening there, and ask what God might be doing with us in the midst of all that. So like we've been going through Acts for several months now, and as we're doing this week after week, we said we have two objectives. Objective number one, we want to see what happened to them then, right? Acts is a history book. It's telling us the history of the early church, and so we're looking and wanting to know historically what happened to these first Christians, but that we're not leaving it there. Right? The second question we're asking is, okay, not only what happened to them, but secondly, what does that mean for us? Right? The Bible is a living and active book. It's God not just telling us what happened to them, but what he is seeking to do in us. And so that's what we're, we're trying to t- walk through. What, is God, what did God do then, and what is he desiring to do in us now? So as we're doing that, especially as we look at Antioch, I told you last week, there are three big things that I think we see happening in Antioch that I want us to address in us as well, all right? Number one, they were serious and passionate about making disciples in their own city. Number two, they were serious and passionate about making disciples around the world. And number three, all of that is made possible because the hand of God was on them. And so last week we talked about that third part. What does it look like for us to live under the hand of God? We saw that In the book of Acts, chapter 11, where it says in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was upon them. We talked a little bit about what that looks like and what that means. And how as we, as followers of Christ, submit ourselves to Jesus, humble ourselves before the Lord, live in accordance with the Scripture, spend time in the Word and in prayer, God seeks to grow us more and more and more in Him, and we seek to live under His hand and His authority, and God begins to do wonderful things in us. And so... With that as our foundation, now I want us to tackle the other two things, how they were serious about making disciples in their own city, and then how they're serious about making disciples around the world. And we're going to tackle the city part today. How did the people of Antioch, the church in Antioch, make disciples in Antioch? What did that look like for them? How did that happen? And then what, again, does that mean for us? So let's chat just for a quick second about the city of Antioch. Antioch was a major metropolis. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, all right? It was huge, right? After Rome and Alexandria was Antioch. It was known for culture and commerce. All the major trade routes of Rome went through Antioch. Major city, major influence, huge economic 
um, artistic, social, military power, Antioch. However, Antioch was also a deeply wicked city, right? Because of all the trade routes, there were all these people coming in and coming out and moving in and moving out. A lot of transient, a lot of, a lot of cycles. People would live there for a year or two or three and then move and live somewhere else. A lot going on. So it brings with it a lot of stuff. But in the process of that, it brought with it a lot of sin. Antioch was wicked. There was a temple set up to the goddess Daphne with thousands, thousands of prostitutes there to worship. It was, in fact, it was said by one uh, ancient historian that whatever wickedness you found in Rome, they learned it from Antioch. So you think about what they did in Rome. I mean, literally just throwing Christians to lions just for kicks and giggles. Whatever wickedness they did in Rome, they picked it up from Antioch. Wicked place. And this is the place, a couple of things. One, that vile, wretched, wicked place is the place God decides to plant one of the most influential churches in the history of Christianity. I love that. Right? He, it's like he went to the worst frat house on earth and said, let's totally find a pastor there. Right? This is what he's doing. It is amazing what God is accomplishing here. And so we want to see how the people of Antioch, how this church at Antioch made disciples. Because they did an amazing job living in a crazy, hard place. They did a phenomenal job in the midst of real hardship and difficulty, making some deep, profound, changed disciples of Jesus Christ. So how did they do that? Let's jump in and see. There are two big ideas I want us to address, all right? Big idea number one is this. They faithfully called people to true salvation. They faithfully called people to true salvation. What does that mean? So look there at verse 21. Again, the hand of the Lord was with them. And look at that last little line. We chatted about this just for a minute at the beginning of the service. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. You notice there, as you read that, there are two groups of people that they're talking about, right? They're talking about people who believe, which seems to be a large group that believed. And then within that large group that believed, there's a smaller group that then turned to the Lord. S- many believed, but a smaller group in there actually turned. It is not enough to simply believe the right things about God. The question is, have you actually turned to him in true salvation? You ready for the scary part? Satan believes everything that you believe. Satan believes that there is only one God. Satan believes that Jesus is the son of God, that he came to earth to die for the sins of humanity, that he was buried in the grave, he victoriously rose again, and he's right now seated at the right hand of God. Satan believes that everything in the Bible is true. Satan believes every bit of that. So here's the question. If Satan believes everything that you believe, what separates you from him? The only thing that can separate you from the devil is not what you believe, but who you serve. And have you actually turned away from this world and to him? Is that making sense? I think one of the reasons that 
a lot of churches in America can be so weak is because many churches in America are filled on Sunday mornings with people who aren't actually Christians. They believe. And if someone were to ask you if you were a Christian, you would very quickly say yes. But have you actually turned? Um, I want to read a scripture to you. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew. And we'll take just a second and kind of walk through this together, right? So if you have a Bible, you can find Matthew, keep your finger in Acts. We'll come back to it. Flip over to Matthew. I want you to see this. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. So this is Jesus talking. If you have a red letter Bible, this is in red. All right? This is Jesus. This is king compassion. Right? This is Jesus. Loving, merciful, kind, wanting to save everyone. Jesus saying these words. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So as you look at this text, what you see is there are two gates that you enter into, two paths that you would walk down, two destinations that it would end up at, and two groups of people that walk down those roads. So I want to unpack that just for a moment, okay? So look again at it and let's see it. So first you got two ways, right? There are two different ways that you can go. It says the first way is, or I'm sorry, two gates. Sorry, so it starts with the gate. So first it says one gate is wide. The next gate is narrow. For the narrow gate, think like a turnstile. Right? You, you got to go in one at a time. You can't go in as a group. Can't walk in as a family. Can't walk in as a church. Doesn't care about who your mom and dad are what church you grew up in, what your race, nationality, political leanings are. You can only go in one at a time. And think about a turnstile. You ever tried to go through a turnstile carrying a lot of luggage? Can't do it, can you? Right? You get, you're that guy that gets stuck, and everybody behind you is going, seriously? Why didn't you just check that? What are you doing? Same way with this. In order for you, listen to me very carefully, in order for you to walk through the narrow gate that actually is ultimately going to lead to salvation, you got to drop your baggage. Drop your sin, your selfishness, your love of this world, your self-righteousness, your desire to please those around you. You can't carry that stuff and go through the narrow gate. You won't fit. So what you do is this. Oftentimes, instead of dropping the baggage and walking through the narrow gate, you look to the side and you see there's a wide one. This gate also, too, has a sign over top of it that says this way to heaven. But this gate's much wider. It's much more open to you bringing your stuff with you. This gate feels much more loving and gracious and kind. This gate is much simpler to navigate. This gate just says you don't have to drop your stuff. Listen, there'll be time for that. Don't worry. No one's perfect. No one's perfect. Keep your baggage. Just walk through the gate. 
And then those two gates are going to lead you down two different paths, two ways. It describes it, Jesus describes it as a hard way and an easy way. Listen to me very carefully. Let these words ring your, this isn't Brad Lynch goofball with a mic saying this. Jesus Christ said, you want salvation? That path's going to be hard. Hard. He describes a path that is not easy. Luke 14, Jesus says, you want to follow me? Pick up your cross and die. That is not an easy path. It's hard. The path that leads to salvation is a path marked by constant repentance of sin. Constant examining of your heart. Constant looking in the mirror and being legit with yourself about the sinner that is there. However, this hard path is also the only path that's going to eventually lead you to full, complete, total joy, peace, and rest. But there's the easy path. The easy path, Proverbs 16.25 says, there's a way that seems right to the man, but in the end it just leads to your death. This path is much easier to navigate. This path feels very right at first. This path feels good. You may even feel like with this path, you're making some headway with God. Like you're getting there. You feel better about yourself. Maybe you stopped doing a couple of bad things. Started a Bible study, downloaded a Bible app on your phone. Like you're getting there. You're making progress. But the truth is, you're, you're just walking down the easy road. And this these two ways are going to end up in two different destinations. The narrow gate and hard path is going to lead to life. But the wide gate and easy path is going to end in destruction. Which road are you going? And it's important that you ask that question because it also says there are two groups of people. Few and many. You ready for the very hard words of Jesus? Jesus says there are going to be very few people in heaven. Heaven isn't a place where all just get together and, and, and wallow in the love of God. Heaven is a place where very few people who walked the hard path through the narrow gate ended up with life. But there are many, many who are going to get sucked in to what Ephesians 2.2 calls the course of this world. They're going to get sucked in into the deception of Satan himself. And my question for you this morning is this. What path are you on? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul says, you need to examine yourself. It's a good thing. It's good to look yourself in the mirror with Bible in hand and saying, do I look like this and can prove that I am walking down the right path? You need to do that. I know you got baptized when you were eight, and that's awesome. But just the rest of your life, has the 30 years since then demonstrated that you are walking the hard path that leads to life? And by the way, I know I'm not an easy guy to listen to, but sitting in here does not count as a hard path, all right? I want to read for you. 
a quote from a pastor theologian by the name of John MacArthur. Here's what he says about this passage. I am convinced that the popular evangelistic message of our age actually lures people into deception and destruction. It promises a wonderful, comfortable plan for life. It obliterates the offense of the cross. Though it presents Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, it says nothing of the small gate and narrow way. Its subject is only the love of God and never mentions God's wrath. It sees people as deprived, not depraved. It is full of love and understanding, but there is no mention of a holy God who hates your sin. No summons to repentance, no warning of judgment, no call for brokenness, no expectation of a contrite heart, and no reason for deep sorrow over sin. It is a message for easy salvation, a call for a hasty decision, which often is accompanied by a false promise of happiness. And this is not the gospel according to Jesus. My concern for us, and what the reason that I drill so hard down on this right now today, is because what we see in Acts, in Acts chapter 11 with this church in Antioch, they understood Not everyone who believes is turning. And we're glad that you believe, but are you going to turn? Believing must start and then you turn. You can't turn without believing. But there are many, according to Jesus, who believe some stuff, but never actually turn. Where are you in that? Have you turned? You turn from this world, the things of this world, the sins of this world, the love and lure of this world. Have you turned from yourself? Have you turned from your own righteousness? Have you turned from your own loves, dreams, hopes, and desires? Have you turned from those things and turned to Jesus? If the answer to that is no, then you're walking an easy path that leads to destruction. And I beg you today, see you're on the wrong path. Get off of it and walk through the narrow gate. Drop your baggage of this world, walk through the narrow gate by faith and trust God to empower you and embolden you to keep walking the path of discipleship until you end up in glorious salvation with him. Get off the easy path. Turn. Turn. If we're going to see real disciples made in Fayetteville, North Carolina, in Cumberland County, in Hope Mills and beyond, if we're going to see that, it starts with us in this room being very, very, very honest about what salvation is and what salvation is not and calling people to true, legitimate repentance and faith in Christ. That is who we are and that is what we're going to be. And by God's grace, God is going to use it as a foundation to see us spring forward off into the future. We can't make disciples out there if we're not actually turned in here. Turn. Turn. And then after they turn, it doesn't end. The second thing that they do is this. After they see people come to genuine repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, they faithfully taught God's word to them. They faithfully taught God's word to them. Look at verse 25, 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. 
For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So a couple of quick things I want us to show here, okay? One, the importance of teaching. I know teaching has really fallen out of favor in the church today, right? We're about experience and, and, and that sort of thing. But the Bible is abundantly clear. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. What Jesus commanded us as a church to do is teach. Teach well. Teach a lot. Teach often. Teach people to obey Jesus. We're called to teach. And this is exactly what they did here. For an entire year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church for no purpose other than just to teach them. And the implications from the text is that they met probably almost every day teaching. So there are a few nuggets I want us to get from this, all right? So first is this. Disciple making takes time. It takes time. Look what they did. For a whole year they met. For a whole year they met and did this. Making disciples of Jesus Christ is not a microwave job, it's a crockpot job. Right? We know the difference. Right? God bless microwaves, I love them. But you try to eat a meal fresh out of a microwave, right? Good news is you get it quick. Bad news is it tastes like you're eating a tire. Flip side, you got a crockpot. Right? What do you do? You put that stuff in there in the morning, get that thing going. Well, my wife does that. Typically when I do it, I mess it up. I'm not going to lie. I know you're just like, crockpot's easy. You can't mess it up. So my wife does this, puts it in there, turns it on. We go off for the day. You come back. Right? It takes all day to do it. Right? It's not a quick process. You can't, dinner's at 6. You can't at 5.30 go crank up the crockpot. Right? You can't do that. Starts an all-day deal. You come home at the end of the day, though. You walk in. What are you hit with? The smell, right? Like, ooh, yes, let's eat. It takes time. But the end result is so much better. Same for this. Making disciples of Jesus Christ takes time. It is not a microwave. It's a crock pot. So here's why. Listen to me very carefully. Our commitment as a church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ out of you and anyone else that God brings us in genuine salvation, all right? But in order for us to do that, listen to me very carefully. you got to commit to the process. It's a crock pot, not a microwave. And if you pop in twice a month for a little ditty, you're not going to grow as a disciple of Jesus. Right? You're not going to do it. It isn't going to happen. Right? I am not that good. It's about you committing to the process. You committing to saying you personally desire and care and are going to be engaged with becoming a fully formed disciple of Jesus Christ. That means you're committed to the body. We'll chat about that more in just a second. You're committed to a small group. We call them journey groups. Find a group and get plugged in. You're committed to being regularly engaged with the body of Christ in worship. You're committed to serving the body. You're committed to building relationships with people outside of this room so that you can sharpen one another in the Lord. You're committed to it. This 
takes time. Again, like I've said, the, the, the illustration that makes so much sense to me as a dad is my kids growing. Right? You don't see your children grow. Right? You don't see them physically just doing this. What happens? You're sitting in the kitchen making a sandwich. You're just minding your business. And your kid walks past you. And out of nowhere you go, when did you become a giant? Like what? Like what just happened? Right? You don't see it happening, but one day you look up and you go, Oh my goodness, this is disciple making. It's a slow, incremental process. It is not overnight. It is not a rocket ship to the moon. It takes time. But it's promised results, right? You're a kid. You don't see them growing, but you know they're not going to turn 18 and still be two inches tall. Whatever. They're going to grow. You trust the growth process engage as a disciple be committed to this it takes time but it is going to happen if you engage with the lord engage with the body and seek him which brings me to the second point disciple making is a community project what did they do for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people they did not now did these people probably have personal times with jesus in prayer and studying the scriptures i am sure they did did paul and barnabas teach them how to do that i am sure that they did but their number one focus was to meet together as a church disciple making you growing as a disciple is a community project i've told you over and over and over if you believe your christianity is a private thing and you do not need the church your view of christianity is different than the bible and i'm going to vote bible but it's not you it's not unique to you if that's you it's sadly rampant in the body of christ i want to show you a study from southwest baptist theological seminary uh, their Center for Revitalization. They did a survey, and they asked 2,500 church-going evangelical Southern Baptist Christians. They gave this statement and asked, "Do you, you know, how how much do you agree? Strongly agree? Somewhat agree? Yeah, I don't really know. Somewhat disagree? Totally disagree? Right? And asking them. So the the, the statement was." I can walk with God without other believers. I can walk with God without other believers. So just to yourself right now, what would you say to that? I can walk with God without other believers. I don't need other Christians for me personally to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. To that, 36% strongly agreed, I don't need other Christians. 29% somewhat agreed, I don't really think I need them. 15% had no real strong feelings. Agree, disagree, eh, I don't really know. So if you add all that up, here's what that means. Out of surveying, 2,500 Southern Baptist Christians actively involved in a church, do you need other believers to grow in your walk with God? 80% had no positive view of this. 
80% felt that their walk with God had nothing too terribly much to do with other Christians. Now, I'm going to tip my hand on this. They're wrong. And if you've been here for the two and a half years that I've been here, and you still think that you can have a vibrant walk with God without other Christians, I have failed you. That is a lie. And it is exhibit B. Exhibit A was we have a lot of people who aren't actually Christians in our churches. Exhibit B that we're so weak is you think if you are a Christian, you can just do this on your own. You can't. You're not supposed to. This is not the way it was designed. You need the body. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Brothers and sisters, you need this body. And I'll even say this. I am not a used car salesman trying to get, what can I do to get you in a pew today, all right? In all seriousness, hear me. If you don't think you can connect with this church for whatever reason, reach out to me. I'll help you find one that you can. And I mean that in all seriousness. You connecting with a body, legitimately connecting with the body of Christ, is more important than us having one more butt in here. I don't care. If you miss this, you might miss Jesus. Because it is hard for me to imagine Someone can truly love Jesus Christ and be at best ambivalent to his bride. Someone comes up to me and says, Brad, I love you, but I am not crazy about Marie. I, if you're a guy, I might punch you in the throat. If you're a wife, I might punch your husband. That probably won't make it in the second service. I won't go online. I apologize. I shouldn't go off notes. I, I'm sorry. My point is, you can't say that and be legitimate about your love for me. You can't. It's not possible. And you can't be legitimate about your love for Jesus and not love his bride. You can't do it. So again, some of you that are in that boat, man, today, you need to have an honest, straight conversation with Jesus Christ. You need to have a real real conversation with him because you got issues you got problems and i am not going to sugarcoat that you got real issues and it's my job to warn you so that you don't keep walking down the easy road that's going to end up in hell you need the body and if you are a follower of christ and you've been busted up somewhere else i get all of that but man, let jesus heal your heart don't let satan deceive you into thinking that you can do it without us you can't you can't third is this disciple making leads to christ likeness i love this little line And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So there are only two other places, there are only three places in the entire Bible, this and two others, where the word Christian is even used. You know that? I mean, we throw it around so much, but only three places in the entire Bible, this one included, where the word Christian is even used. 
And it's believed that more than likely it was used at first as a term of derision. It was a slang. Right? Because the word Christian means those belonging to Christ, the party of Christ, the group of Christ. And so it was used as a slang term. Oh, those little Christians, those little groups of Jesus lovers. There go those Christians. And at some point, I love it, the church was like, you know what? Yes. That is exactly who we are. You can hate us for it if you want. In fact, the, uh, one of the other times where this word is used is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. Look what Peter says. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, one of those little Christ people, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Right? Peter's telling them, yeah, they're calling us Christians. Don't be ashamed of that. Glorify God with that name. You better believe I am. Yes, I am one of those little Jesus people. You better believe it. And so for us, as we seek to make disciples of Jesus, our goal here is to make you look more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. The goal of disciple making, the goal of teaching is not to improve your life, it's to make you look more like Jesus. The goal of disciple making, the goal of teaching, is not for you to learn five better ways to communicate with your spouse. It's for you to look more like Jesus. And if you look more like Jesus, the communication starts to work its way out. We look for answers in places where the Bible doesn't even ask the question. The Bible's not asking, how do you have a better this or have a better that? The Bible, the point of the scriptures is to make you look more like Jesus. And as you look more like Jesus, you're empowered to walk through all those questions that you're asking. Again, another reason why the church is so impotent and powerless is because we're looking for answers apart from where Christ desires for us to find the answer. We're looking for how do we be a better this and get a better that and be better at this and be better at that. And the Bible is just saying, no, no, no. I just want to make you look more like Jesus. And then we're going to work the rest out. It's exactly what their goal was. To the point where people just started making fun of them and mocking them as this. Little Christians, little Christians, little Christians. Because their whole goal was just to be like Jesus. So we can sum up Antioch's mission statement like this. What was the strategy of Antioch? Lead people to true faith in Jesus through the gospel. Then teach them God's word until they look like Jesus. It's very simple. Lead people to true faith in Jesus. Then pour God's word into them until they look like Jesus. And that's what we're seeking to do here. It's actually very simple. Let's don't overcomplicate it. Let's don't make it more than what it is. Our mission here is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our goal, listen to me. Southview Baptist Church does not exist to be a, a community center or a social club. We are not your therapist. Southview Baptist Church exists to proclaim a bold gospel that will offend and turn off most people. But there are some who are going to be gloriously saved. And we take that sum, and we pour God's word into them until they look more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. That's what we do. It's actually not complicated. Everything we do here revolves around that. Proclaim a pure gospel. For some, it will be the stench of death. 
For others, it will be the aroma of life. And for those, it is the aroma of life. And they turn to faith in Jesus. We take those people. We love them. We nurture them. We care for them. And we pour God's word into them. So they look more and more and more like Jesus. This is who we are. This is what we do. So with that, I want to ask our band to come up. And I want to ask you just to, to bow your heads for a moment. I want to ask a couple of questions of you. Just some things to kind of think through and consider. So question number one. And this is just with you and God. Be honest before the Lord. Doesn't matter what anybody else is going to think, what your spouse is going to think, what your kids are going to think, what your parents are going to think. I've been in this church for years, whatever. Doesn't matter. Here's the honest question. Do you just believe things about God? Or have you truly turned to Jesus Christ? Have you turned away from this world, away from sin, away from wickedness, away from the love and desires and lusts of this world? Have you turned away from that? Have you turned from yourself, your sin, your selfishness, your pride, your bitterness, your anger, your unforgiveness, your victim mentality? Have you turned away from all of that and turned to Jesus? If the answer to that is no, I implore you today, see that Jesus Christ came to save you from your sin. He came to make you new. He came to take up, soak up the wrath of God so that it doesn't have to be poured out on to you. He came to save you. But you can only be saved from the wrath of God that is coming if you turn from this world and turn to Jesus. I beg you today, Call out to Jesus and tell him that you are turning to him. Yes, you believe that he is the son of God. Yes, you believe that he died and rose again. Yes, you believe that he is the only way to salvation. You believe all those things and you're putting faith in those things and turning from this world and trusting in Jesus to be your life. And you're turning away from everything else and just living for him, no matter what that means. That means you got to walk away from friendships and relationships and jobs and your five-year plan and all these things. You turn freely from all of that because that was just an easy path that made your 85, 90 years on earth manageable. But what about the 800 plus billion years in heaven or hell? There's a way that seems right, but in the end it's just going to lead to your death. Turn. And for those of you that have turned, honest question number two. Are you actively seeking to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Would you say that you look more like Jesus today than you did a year ago? Are you committed to the process? Are you committed to growing as a disciple of Jesus? Are you committed to the body of Christ? Are you committed to looking more and more and more like Jesus? Which means you freely cut out anything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus. Are you growing as a disciple? So what we're going to do this morning is our band is going to sing for us. And we're not going to ask you to sing. We're going to ask you to pray and respond to Jesus. The name of the song is I Need a Savior. And you need a Savior. 
You need to be saved. So as the band sings, this altar is open. Myself, my wife Marie, others up front would be happy to pray with you, encourage you, help you in any way. But for the next few minutes, this is about you being honest with God and responding to Him. So Jesus, I pray that you'll do your good work in your people for your glory. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.
pray for us, Lord, that we would be serious about making disciples. We're going to start in this room with us, asking of ourselves, have I turned to Jesus and away from this world, and am I actively seeking to grow to look more and more and more and more and more like Jesus? pray that over every person here in this room. I pray, God, that you would, Holy Spirit, if there is anywhere in that where that's not true of us, you would convict us, make that so real, maybe see that. God, may we trust you with turning to you and running after you in Christ's life this in us, Jesus, and let us experience, God, just an overflow of fruit in that. Let us see more and more and more and more and more people turning to true faith in you, Jesus, and being discipled into being Christ-like. Do this in us, in this place, God, and ask that you will be so kind to let us see that for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.